Most people can relate to the desire to get something for nothing. Right? That's always a good thing. We would prefer to win the race rather than run the race. We'd prefer to get a paycheck every week or month or every two weeks without working. We'd prefer to win the war without fighting the battles. It's something we can all relate to. Wouldn't you rather know that everything was all prepared, everything was finished, everything was done without making an investment into possibly risking something? I think that's what Forrest Gump was trying to get at when he said, life is like a box of chocolates. You bite into things, risking what it might taste like. But if you don't risk it, you might not be successful. You might not get what you want. Given the choice, we'd rather not bite it without knowing. We'd like to know what we're getting ourselves into. We don't want to run the risk of having something bad happen. Or at least we'd like to be able to calculate that risk. At least in calculating the risk, we might anticipate the possibility of failure or hurt or disappointment being let down if we're not successful. That's what feeds the advertising industry today, if you think about it, making you feel comfortable about your choices to go ahead and try something. Teasers make people feel that they think that they have little risk or effort that they can get something. I mean, people want to lose weight without giving up food or working out. People want a tax refund without filing to pay taxes. Right? Most of us can admit, though, that you don't get something for nothing. Even though we would like to, we can admit that that doesn't happen. In fact, we'd probably say you actually get what you pay for. You get out of it what you put into it. If you buy something cheap, you probably enter the deal knowing that it's going to probably break down before something else that costs more money. If you're in school and you don't study for a test, you get what you pay for. If you miss a whole month of work, you probably aren't going to get the promotion. You get what you pay for. But what happens when you really care about something? What happens when you have a passion for it, and you invest in it, and you work hard for it? And all that you do to try to minimize the risk. You get good grades in school and are prepared, and you want to minimize the risk of not getting into the top university. You want to minimize the risk offering your time and your talents towards something that really matters in order to get a return. You deserve it. But what if you don't get the return in your investment of time and effort? What if you study the whole four years in high school and you get a low-grade college? What happens? Maybe you work for a job 20 years only to get passed by for a promotion by someone who's younger than you. That is when we really complain. Wait, I ordered the box of chocolates with all the creams in it, knowing that that's what you wanted, but you didn't get it. 
you got probably what Charlie Brown got, a lump of coal in his stocking. I should get something for everything that I put into this. Or were we willing to take a risk because we believed that our dedication and hard work would bring results? Of course we do. Things get a little bit more complicated when we bring God into the picture. What happens when you have prayed about something, have asked God to please grant you that promotion that you have worked so hard for, that extra wage increase, or that your family and your marriage would go well and it didn't work out? What about when you ask God to take away the illness or infirmity that you or a family member has and it doesn't happen? What happens when you have prayed for direction in handling a situation and thought you were making that God was guiding you in this way and it turned out not to be successful for you? Suddenly our thoughts of blame shift from self to God. To a certain extent, we can handle the fact that sometimes we don't get what we want or work for in this world, and we can take the risk, and we simply say, well, that's life. But when as Christians we ask God, and God enters the picture, we expect that our faith will trump life and minimize all risks. At this point, some may simply give up on God. Some might think that they've invested a whole lot of time going to church, praying to him, diligently giving offerings, and all this has gone unrewarded. Some may ask themselves the question, what have I done to deserve this, O God? What did I do wrong? I thought God knew all my needs and all my desires. I went to church, gave offerings, participated in everything. Some might ask, how could I have misinterpreted God's direction? Why did he close a door after I've invested so much time in seeking his will? This type of human reasoning reveals how we might be looking at faith and trust. Is using our faith and trust merely trying to minimize our risk in doing something? Is it trying to get something for nothing because we know the head honcho who's boss of everything? Is that what faith is? We ask God for all the creams, but we got a few nuts and caramels. And he knows they're bad for my teeth. He knows how I could do better with more salary. Why didn't he give that to me? If God loves and blesses us with life, why am I so sick all the time? Faith is seen by many people today as something that I do for God. I believe in God. Phrases in our society tell us over and over again, just believe. Just believe. You got to believe. And we are bombarded by phrases like that. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Many have a Disney-esque faith, as I call it. A Disney-esque faith. A faith that has the power. Faith has the power they possess. 
the power of faith lies within us that as long as I have faith and really, really believe, maybe if I squint really hard while I believe to do the right things, things will turn out great for me all the time. So we dismiss any adversity or disappointment than as God's part. Probably for most all of us, our faith is short-sighted. It sees no further than what our hands can do and what our abilities are able to accomplish. Faith is in ourselves. We believe as far as our abilities and knowledge give us confidence and security, but we are not secure, nor are we confident when we don't have the ability to succeed in something. Because our faith is so short-sighted when we are met with real obstacles that we cannot overcome, that's when we wish or desire or throw up a prayer. In short, it's easy to have faith and trust in God when you have a job and food is plentiful. It's easy to have faith and trust in God when you have money to pay the medical bills. It's easy to have faith and trust in God when you have the ability and talent when making the decision to head in a particular direction because you're convinced that that's what the Lord wants. It's easy to trust and have faith when you yourself have minimized the risks. You can buy food. You can pay for the bills. But perhaps in all of this, your security or your faith or your trust is really in your own ability and not in God. You trust and have faith in God for what you already know is given. And that each of us have to ask ourselves that question. But when our circumstances are out of control, are we willing to have faith and trust in what is not seen? In the outcome that we don't no, where the answer might be different from what we expect or have calculated to be true? Isn't that what Jesus was getting at when he showed himself to Thomas and said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have faith? Wasn't just talking about his resurrection. He was talking about anything in life. Blessed are those who do not know the outcome of their uncertainty, their disappointment, their setback, their poverty, their inability, and yet know that I am in control. In relooking at the Old Testament story of Elijah and the widow, there was a famine throughout the whole land, and the widow, since she is a widow, has no social status. She has no husband that would keep her in social status. So she's basically an outcast. She has no representation. And she is willing to die, eating her last loaf of bread. But the word came to Elijah and, said, and she said, As sure as your Lord lives, he knows I only have a bit of flour and a jar of olive oil. She makes in faithful response to God's prophetic word that there would be enough. Even though she doesn't see it. 
In this story, Faith is the sure knowledge of her own frailty. She knows that she can do nothing about it, but God is still God. She knows that she has to trust in what she knew to be true her whole life. She didn't plan to be a widow. She didn't plan to be poor. Maybe she planned to have more children. And the funny thing about this story, or interesting, is that the name of the town actually means refining metal. It was the place in Israel that actually was the place during the Bronze Age to refine metal. And so these people are being refined in their faith in the town that was refining metal. Our gospel, too, looks at a widow as well. The whole chapter before deals with the Jews, how they pompously give offerings, how they stole from God in the temples. They plotted against Jesus because he was seen as a risk to their success, to their wealth and their power. They were rich. The widow, however, is poor. She was uneducated in the law. They were well-educated in the law. She was a woman. They were men. Yet she risked everything, whereas the priests gave the security of their own wealth. It was easy for them to give because they had enough, and they could give what was ever extra. Her faith caused her to risk everything. She wasn't born this way, just like the widow in 1 Kings. But for her, and in spite of all this, God is still God. He still was to be worshipped and praised. He still was her creator. He still had her eternal life in his hands. But why was she willing to risk everything in faith to God? Because she lost hope in herself. The hopelessness turned her to look to God for the answers. Evil is present in this world. And it seeks to rob us of the joyful life that God gave us. It makes life a risky business, an unsure adventure. In this world, life is a box of chocolates and there are no guarantees. But that is in this world. That is the way it happens in this world. The presence of evil and the suffering we experience is limited and is not eternal. It has met its end in Christ Jesus. This is the message that Paul brings us in Hebrews. Christ's death is once and for all. His death and his resurrection, his sacrifice is once for all time. No need for repetition. No need to do it again. Sin, death, and the power of the devil have been vanquished, destroyed, eliminated in Christ Jesus. And it is through Christ's triumph that God has chosen to use evil against itself so that even evil serves God's purpose. Now, bear with me. I'll say it again. And it is through Christ's triumph that God has chosen to use the evil things that happen around us that would make us despair 
and cause us suffering so that even the evil things serve God's purpose and will. It sounds strange, but in spite of how Satan acts in the world, God uses those sufferings that are caused to drive those who are suffering to him to look at the cross of Christ and know that he is defeated. God reigns and rules, and he does so from his mercy and his forgiveness and from the empty tomb, not in overt power. Remember, he made the promise never to destroy the earth again by flood, never to wipe out what he created because he loved it so much. That's why he chooses this route, to suffer himself. He triumphs through the cross of Christ, where Christ himself says, when he is raised up, I will draw all men unto myself. It is God's choice to wipe out the power of Satan in a way that drives us all to look to him alone for salvation. And let's face it, it works. When do we look for God the most? When we've lost trust in ourselves, Or as some people say, when we're flat on our back in the hospital. And the only place we can look is up. When evil gets too great, when the suffering is too much, we lose trust in ourself and there is no other way. As the widow in 1 Kings, our faith and trust in God is being refined every single day. When we raise our hands and cry out, I know no other security than in what you have accomplished through the death and resurrection of your son. That in all things, you have ultimately triumphed, though for a moment, deception and despair and injustice and pain may seem to have the upper hand in this world. Because when Christ comes again in power and in glory at the end of all time, he will complete his promise of eternal life to all who have placed faith and trust in him. Such is our hope. As the widows in our text found out, we do not only get something for nothing, we get everything for nothing. We offer our weakness and our pain and our suffering, our nothingness to God, but our problems, pains, sorrows, failures, and disappointments. No security in ourselves. No answers or resolve to so many of life's situations are found in us. Yet from this nothingness and desperate hopelessness that we give to God, we have the ultimate victory over all things in Christ Jesus, in whom our Lord invites us to trust and to whom our short-sighted faith must forever cling. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline 
at gmail.com.